Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Evening, lads. Uh, Joshy here, uh, at Doc underscore Joshy on Twitter. Uh, you'll find me on various podcasts, uh, YouTube channels, and I do a bit of writing for The Sportsman and some sports science and health technology websites. Hi, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake with two N's. I, I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Hi, I'm Sean Whetstone. I'm at West Ham Football on Twitter, which will give you a, a, an idea of who I support. I am um, a host of more than just a podcast, and that's more as in Bobby Moore, which is a West Ham podcast. And I write for a blog called Clarence Hugh, which brings us uh, West Ham News 24 by 7. Awesome, right? Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, as is, is uh, the format this season, we're going to start with some news and notes. Uh, the first is uh, there's been a reported shift in the waters on the Alexis saga. A lot of people thought he was going to be going to Manchester City. Now, Joshi, of interest to you, uh, that he may be on his way yep. to United. Um, less sure in the reports that potentially McTarian could be going the other way just because of how rare player-for-player player deals are. Um, but we'll start with who do you think he'd be best fit at in the Premier League? Um, and would a move to United potentially mean that the title race would be back on? Joshi, we will appropriately lead in with you. Who would he fit in best with? I think um, if I'm being 100% honest and we think about short-term long term look at his age he's 29 years old he spent a few seasons at arsenal picked up a few fa cups but i think he wants the big trophy um and it just depends what his mindset is if we say the money isn't really a factor because both clubs are going to pump him full of cash let's be honest then it just depends on how much of a challenge he's looking for um i suspect to be honest deep down he he wants to play for pep guardiola and it will be less of a challenge for him. It's pretty much an easy Premier League uh, title for him to pick up. I don't think that, even despite the result today, they're not they're not catchable. Um, so from that perspective, you know, in six months' time, he could potentially have a, or oh, well, five, well, May so five months' time, a Premier League medal around his neck. They're they're going to be going going well in the Champions League. Obviously, there's the FA Cup as well. So there's trophies to be won. So in the short term, he's a better fit there. And he knows Pep Guardiola. He knows his methods. Uh, I'm not sure how well they got on previously. Um, but also, if you look at the City sort of forward line, they've got quite a few young um, players with a lot of potential. Sane, Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, uh, Bernardo Silva. So getting in that extra bit of uh, experience, as well as obviously world-class quality, would help that balance. Overall, in terms of best fit, I think he would 
probably fit best at City, unfortunately, from my mind. But actually, that being said, if he's up for a challenge and he's looking beyond the six months, looking beyond into the next few years, I think he'd be a great fit at United. So, you know, he's in a really great position to be able to pick from uh, two clubs like that. And it's just, it just depends on where his mind is at in terms of um, what he's looking for. <clears throat> so from, you know, that perspective... I mean, I'd love it if we signed him. I was looking at him. At the, I was, I'd loved him us to sign him over the summer when it was sort of mooted. We were linked with him a little bit in the summer, but obviously then City were almost going to get it over the line. Uh, in terms of whether it would open up the, the, the title race again, you know, I alluded to it earlier. I don't think so. I think this would be more of a um, an addition which would bolt boost our Champions League efforts actually to winning that trophy. He's obviously a world-class player um, and has, you know, that end product in that in that final year. And again, we've got a lot of young players in that forward line. You know, even though we signed Lukaku for 75 million, he's 24, he's still improving. So, you know, again, it'll be a good fit. And that's where I would see him. So, you know, trying to come in and, and boost that. But in the league, I think the league is done. I don't see, okay, they lost today against Liverpool and I, I just don't see us, you know, we would essentially have to win every single one of our remaining matches in the league to even have a chance. And they would have to, I think, now lose four more, I think, if my maths is correct, or five more because obviously goal difference it depends. But yeah, so I think the league is done and it's just a case of now um, where he wants to go, where he feels... It, like I said, it depends on what his mindset is, whether it's a short-term, right, let's just get as many medals as possible, or whether actually he genuinely is fed up at Arsenal and just want, and wants an actual challenge and go in and try and go somewhere. And actually, that doesn't mean City isn't a challenge. He could go there, and, and then his his thing would be, actually, can I get City over the line in the Champions League? The Premier League might not be done, and that might be his challenge. So it's not, I'm not saying City don't offer that. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, there are sort of certain things to weigh up for both in in terms of both clubs. No, I, d- I don't think either one of them is a great fit for him, to be honest, in in what he offers. Um, I think at the age of 29, the amount of football he's played, I don't think he has that long left at a very high level. I think even this season he's dropped off a little bit. Maybe that's the motivation thing. But if there was one club in the Premier League that I think would suit him, I'd, the only one I can see him going to and actually fitting him where well is Chelsea. I just think it would allow them to move away from that 3-5-2. But they didn't really seem to be interested, so that's not really part of the question. But that's who, that's if I was him, that's the club I'd want to go for. Um, but out of Man United and City, I think at the start of the season, City probably saw him in the team ahead in where Raheem Sterling's playing. Probably saw Sani. As the, they did, probably didn't think Sterling was going to play a great deal, but he's come on a lot in these last few months. I just don't think he really gets in that team now. If you, you, you got... Uh, Aguero, Sané, Sterling, Silva, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, and then it had Gabriel Jesus as well. I don't really see where Sanchez plays, and he, if he's going somewhere, he's going to play. He's not going to go to be a bench player. So I can see why he'd rather go to Manchester United, but I don't know why they'd want him. Like I, they've got a lot of good young attacking players. It just completely blocks off Martial, probably blocks off Rashford to an extent. Because uh, he's been playing a lot on that left, so I don't think he'll play as much. Lingard's coming through as well and doing well, but you know you can't really drop him at the moment. So yeah, I, just, I don't know why they want him. I think, I, think he, I think he would fit in. Like in the United squad, we've got a massive gap on that right hand side, and I know he plays that's on not the where left. He plays. Arsenal. Yeah, 
well, for Arsenal, he plays on the left, but at Barcelona, he played on the right. At Udinese, he played on the right. And, you know, he, he obviously has world-class ability. The other thing is, Ibrahimovic, you know, he's... I. I just, I'm, you know, he's not going to come back into the side and do anything great. He hasn't been great this season at all, even after coming. I think he was rushed back from his injury. So then you've got that option through the middle as well. Um, and he could play across that front three. So it's not like we he can't play on the right. He, that's where he played his best football for Barcelona. That's where he played his best football for Udinese. It's just at Arsenal, he moved out to that left-hand side and also played through the middle. So, you know, there are options but, there. Um, he's, so, yeah. The reason he's gone to the left now is because he's, he cuts in on that right, and he's he's so much a bigger goal threat now than he ever has been throughout the rest of his career. If you could put him on the right, of Manchester United, you're essentially putting there him there to cross, which is not what he does. Like he's not he he doesn't score many goals coming across on his right foot. So I just don't understand why you'd want to put him there. Like if you're going to sign a player for that position, Sanchez probably isn't the guy for that. If you're going to play him down the middle, fine. No, sure, sure, play him right. on the left, fine. Yeah. I just don't. I, I just I just honestly think that Manchester United now are just buying names every single window. Mourinho, when he was at Chelsea to start off with, he'd buy players that were they, he'd buy players for a team. Drogba, not many clubs were really looking at him before he went there. There was Ian Robin. There was uh, you know then Inter. He, he was the one that brought in Schneider and Melito. Then they weren't massive names at the time. He used to buy players and improve them and actually build a team with his signings. Now he's just throwing money at whatever name's available. Like, I could get the point of signing Mesut Ozil. Manchester United need a number 10. I don't think Lingard or uh, Mata are really that long-term. I don't think Pogba is, is that either. But I could understand Ozil. That makes a little bit of sense. Sanchez just seems he's buying a name. And it's, it's just Mourinho's completely... Just, I don't know. I, just, I would not have much faith in him buying uh, and selling players at the moment if I was Manchester United. I'd be worried about what it means for Martial and Rashford more than what Sanchez brings. <laughs> That's an interesting point because Martial and Rashford are only left wingers because they were pushed out of their traditional position kind of by what you're talking about with um, uh, Ibrahimovic being bought last year and then Lukaku being bought this year. Uh, what do you think about that, Joshi? Yeah, I know I get that. And it's something that was said last season, but then Rashford went on to play more minutes than pretty much anyone else in the squad. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, is, it isn't... I'm not saying it's a perfect signing, but like, like I say, he's a world-class forward. It's an area of the team where... We have got gaps. We have got a uh, lack of sort of backup for Lukaku. So what that would mean is if uh, Sanchez does start on that left-hand side, then Rashford and Martial are going to be backups to that side and also backups to Lukaku. So, the, you know, it's a squad game, as it were. So um, someone like Rashford, he's in the last month. I mean, he's not really been at the races. He's not, you know, he's a young kid, so he's not playing that much football has probably he's probably a bit fatigued at the moment uh, from what I've seen um, in the last uh, few games, and I can see the argument about Martial. I think that's the one where you would have a few concerns. But again, Lukaku has looked massively fatigued, and we just haven't had the option to rest him. He was he got his head injury, and then after that, he was sort of you know he forced not to play, and actually the side looked a lot fresher and a lot better because he was able to play Rashford up top or Martial up top. So, you know, those players will get their opportunities. The, the, the key is that they need to take them when they're playing, I guess. And that's the thing about Mourinho. He doesn't really give you too many second chances. And that's, and that's the thing. So, yeah, there is a concern. But again, about, on the flip side, Alexis Sanchez is a world-class footballer. And at United, we don't have... That many we've got a lot of potential, and I would say Paul Pogba, David De Gea are the only two that I would say are truly established world class 
footballers at this time. So adding in more world-class talent for me isn't an issue as long as Jose Mourinho knows or has a plan for that. And if he doesn't, if, he, if he's doing what you're saying, then obviously that is a concern. But I would argue that his signing so far, there, have, there has been a, a plan. There's been a reason why they're brought in. There's been a definite need in the squad. And for the most part, except for Henrik Mkhitaryan, they've all come on well. Lindelof, again, you can reserve judgment yet, but he's still young and, and developing, but he's been very good in recent games. Um, but out of the signings he's made, only Mkhitaryan and then the second free signing of Ibrahimovic has been, I would question. So from a transfer perspective, he's got a good record at United and there seems to be a good strategy. So hopefully in that, with, that, with that in mind, it isn't just one of those, oh, he's available, get him, get him, get him kind of thing, hmm. which it might be. Yeah. Um, next up, was reading a really interesting article this week uh, talking about the death of the mid-table club. And uh, in it, there was a really interesting stat, which was that 12 teams are currently within 10 points of the relegation spots. And, and really wanted to discuss that on the show and ask you guys if you think that's exciting because it obviously means way uh, a higher percentage of matches really have something kind of riding on the line. Or do you think it's more an indictment of the direction of this league? The crazy thing is um, we're, we're now 11th, yeah? And West Ham are 11th. Mm. And we were 18th a, a week ago. Um, you know, we... we 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 played West Brom. We got a win. Still unbeaten at Wembley, by the way, Kev. Still unbeaten <laughs> at Wembley in a competitive match. Uh, we should have won that one, by the way. You were so lucky with your Korean chat. Um, but there you go. Now I thought that yeah, would have been a lovely Yeah, because your shot was game. totally luckless. Well, that was our only shot on target. But what a <laughs> shot on target. Anyway, <clears throat> it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time. I mean, <clears throat> here we're talking in eleventh, but we can still get relegated. You know, one one. One um, one bad result, and you're in the relegation zone again. And that means, you know, that's worth over 100 million now. So it 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 makes it exciting if you're not one of those people in that mid table, because you just don't know where you're going. And relegation, you know, used to be, oh well, you know, if you're bottom at Christmas, that's it. You know, you could almost pick the relegated. Oh, with the three that came up, two of them will go down. And one, and one other club will be unlucky and one will survive. That's no longer the case. You know, I, I, I expect this to go all the way through where <clears throat> the bottom uh, 11 clubs, maybe even 12 clubs, maybe will be separated by no more than 10 points, maybe even 8 points or something. Uh, and and it, it will mean almost definitely that relegation is not resolved until uh, the very last day of, of the Premier League, um, which which sometimes, if the way that it's going with Man City, um, I mean, uh, apart from today, I mean, let's be honest, they've got, they've got the Premier League title sewn up, really. I, I really don't see them losing like that every, every week. Um, so I think, I think the champions already decided. Uh, Swansea might be you know, obvious choice to go down, but who who knows where the other two places are. Um, and on West Ham, and it's hard to say this, even though we're 11th, we're not out of the woods. You know, we're, we're only yeah. four points away from the relegation zone. And um, I, I think we've got to get used to it. There, there, it's, it's, a, it's a cliche, but it's a game of inches now. And, and, it, and this is why we got so aggrieved with the, the recent game where, you know, we were un, unfairly 
robbed of some points by uh, Bobby Madley, the referee. Um, it wasn't just offside. It was handball as well. Now, I'm not going to go back to that and be sour grapes and go on about it. But, you know, do we get to a point when when teams are so tight that a referee makes the difference of a of a, a club going into liquidation mm. or not or spending the next 10 years in the championship because they got a decision wrong? And that's why, and I know I'm going off topic slightly, I think if the Premier League is going to be this tight and you know, it's going to make the difference on goal difference, whether someone goes up or down, then I think the Premier League and the FA do need to bring in video um, referees to to make those decisions and make sure they're right because it's going to make so much difference to the fans, to the clubs and, um, and, and to the Premier League. Yeah, that's a terrific point on, you'd assume the refs will now be even under more pressure, as you point out, with the margins this thin, more likely the decision like that could really, really cost the club both short and long term. Um, we'll, we'll come back to you now, Jake, uh, a long time on the show when, whenever we've had the discussion of, you know, is the premier league, uh, the best in the world? One of the defenses that they would have was that in any, any team could beat anybody in the premier league. It wasn't like Spain where there were just three big clubs, but now there's largely five you'd argue. And then kind of everybody else does the premier league risk going into that category long-term. Yeah, I think the Premier League's getting, getting, getting into a dangerous area where the big clubs are just so much better than the rest of the teams. Um, like this season, I think the common theme has been teams outside of that top five, six could give give a team a scare, but they couldn't have a they didn't have a realistic chance of beating one. There's been a few a few examples. I know uh, Sean will say about West Ham. They beat um, Chelsea. Uh, they, and they beat Tottenham in the in the in the cup, of course, and got a draw there. And there's and Bournemouth today, but I think Arsenal may be the one that you would expect can still be beaten. But aside from that, like Manchester United, they've had a few draws, but they've not really been beaten. I think Huddersfield. It's more rare now. It used to happen more often, and and now it doesn't. And I think it, I just think the Premier League with the money that's in the league now has just created a divide between those top five six clubs. I think it should probably be six, but Arsenal are doing their best to, to find a way out of that so that you know they want to keep the league competitive, which is fair play to them. If the other five would like to, to follow suit, that would be great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I just don't think it's a very, I just think it's going to continue like this. Um, it's good in one, it, it's good that you've got so many teams in this relegation battle, I think. I think it's a good thing because you don't have those point, you know, you don't have your Stokes in the past and, and your West Brom so it would get to 40 points and just die off and maybe impact another team going down or getting into Europe because they were not putting the teams out. So I think it's good in that extent, but yeah, I, I, it's taken away a bit. I don't know. I just sort of, I'm sort of losing, losing interest or I'm not as interested in the, in like I'm not as invested in Newcastle at the moment as I have been in previous years, and I'm not sure if that's the Premier League, the direction of where football's going, what's actually happening at my own club. That might be part of it. But I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just getting a little bit just taken away from it. But as a Newcastle fan, I would say that we went through our stage. I think we took one point from 27 available, and we are currently not in the relegation zone. So that tells you all you need to know about the quality of the bottom half of the Premier League because it's not good. <laughs> so yeah, it's I, I'm. I go into every game. I don't think any game is a must-win for a team at the bottom because no, like one team, West Ham might go on a run and move away from it. Uh, Bournemouth might go on a run and move away from it. But you're not going to get, you're not going to be left stranded at the bottom. It's like one of three or four. There's going to be at least five or six down there. And I think it will over the next few weeks. There will be teams. 
you know climb out of it and there will be teams that maybe there might be one or two teams that fall off the pace uh West Brom's win this weekend was massive for them Swansea have picked up four in their last um I think it's like four four points in their last nine available mm-hmm. which is huge for them because if they didn't get them they'd be cut adrift now but they I think their next four three or four games are against top six clubs I might be wrong in that but I know they've got a pretty tough schedule because I was looking at it after Carvalho got appointed and I said those Watford and Newcastle games are huge they took four points but they probably needed to take six because the rest of their schedule is off when they're going to get cut adrift unless their they get a few short games, results their next two games are Liverpool and Arsenal both at home yeah it's I, I know Arsenal potentially, you know, that's one that you could always think you could beat at home. But yeah, and Swansea yeah, historically I, have done fairly well against Arsenal. Yeah, I, I just, don't, I just think the Premier League. Yeah, I, I, as a t- as a support of a team outside the top six, I'm losing interest. Jake, do you think you're you're in a relegation fight? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I think we are we are. I would say, in my mind, there are six teams that. In real danger of going down, we're one of those six. I think oh, right. Stoke with their manager situation. They, I think Mar- uh, Martin O'Neill rejected them today, so they're definitely if they don't get a manager soon, they're going to be down there. I think West Brom, Swansea, and Brighton and Huddersfield. I don't think and potentially Bournemouth. I don't really think any of the other teams have got a real danger of going down. Um, the team we played yesterday I, all played for us last season the Championship, so that's not a good stat to have. We've not improved at all, so we are. If Rafa Benitez keeps us up, he's done an incredible job. We're trying to—it's like trying to paint the Mona Lisa with crayons. What he's trying to do—it's ridiculous. It is, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're definitely one of the—I'd say we're one of the favourites to go down. And you—you you didn't mention Southampton, who—who—who who, who are really on the slide. I'm surprised you didn't mention them. I just think—I think they've got enough quality. They love talent, and I think if all it takes is one, if they sack their manager, they've got, still got the option to sack their manager. They haven't done that yet. Yeah. Uh, they've got that card to play, and they've got 17th, all that money. Seventeenth, one point off Stoke in in uh, in eighteenth place. So uh, I think they could be the dark horses and and sucked mm. in there. But we'll see. We'll see. Look at Palace. Palace was you never thought when uh, Palace. What were they? Rock bottom, no winning yeah. how many games, and 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 look at where they are now in twelfth put. Yeah. Uh, I think also, Southampton have got 70 million to spend, haven't they, from Van Dijk? <laughs> so I think this January transfer window, you're going to see a couple of teams spend their way out of it, and I think Saints could be one of them. <laughs> and to be fair, it's not like Van Dijk was offering them a whole lot to begin with this season. Um, also of note with Southampton, uh, this could be a whole show in and of itself, but how foolish do they look for getting rid of Claude Puel uh, after last season with how he's done at Leicester thus yep. far? Um, Josh, you, uh, Jake was just saying, you know, we aren't often seeing uh, upsets from these smaller teams. As a Manchester United fan, are you ever worried mm-hmm. basically playing anyone out of the top six? <laughs> at, well, at the moment, uh, yeah. I mean, United have this ability to, like, okay, we had three consecutive draws recently, and we have lost. Uh, we lost away at Huddersfield. You know, th- I think one of the things uh, that is skewing this ever so slightly. It's not obviously the only reason why is City having their freak of a season. No. Only three teams have picked up points against them this season. So, I mean, if you think about in the past, like, um, if you look at the rest of the clubs, for example, United have dropped points in eight games and Liverpool in 10 games, Chelsea in nine games, Tottenham in 10 games. You know what I mean? Those will be against the clubs that you'd have thought would be like mid-table. Like Everton, I think, drew against Chelsea and, you know, like at the likes of Everton or... Leicester or whatever they might have been your mid-table clubs but the points that City you'd have expect them to drop 
in an av- in a normal kind of season, even as league leaders, that those haven't been spread out. So you're probably not getting that cluster in the middle. Uh, it's only a small point to make. The other thing is, I would say it's also because it is it is a much more competitive league than other leagues. Yes, I know City are making a mockery of that this year, but again, it's I think it's a freak season, um, and it and and pe- people sort of teams within that sort of below maybe sixth and onwards, whatever they take points off each other quite a bit, and you know that's because a lot of these teams have a lot of money to spend. Everton have a ton of money to spend. They've they've bought bought in some good players. Every club in this league has a lot more money to spend than European their counterparts in the European leagues, and you're seeing that they're bringing in quality. Um, most of the, a lot of these teams, okay, save for Newcastle. Sorry, mate. You know that you're obviously not getting the money uh, filtering down to the to the uh, players on the pitch because of the way the club is run. But um, you know, most like if you look at West Ham, the amount of money they've spent. You look at um, Stoke, some of the players they've got. Um, you know, you could if you look at every single club, you could pick out one player that you thought, "Are oh, how is he playing for that team?" Maybe and there, there are a few that may a few exceptions maybe, but I think generally I think we're it's a much more competitive league uh, as well. So that's why you're seeing this bunch, not bunching, well bunching, which is quite, you know, even even Everton are only seven points ahead of Stoke in 18th, and they're in ninth. You'd think Everton are safe, probably. I mean, they are, probably, but obviously seven points isn't that much, so you could easily get dragged in. So, you know, I think it's just... I think this is a bit of an unusual season. I think hopefully, well, things will settle down next year. I think City are just having one of those, and in terms of the relegation bits, like you say, nobody has has been cut adrift. So I think it's interesting. It's good for the league. It shows that there's... You know, Swansea aren't out of it. There's hope for them. So it keeps it competitive. Um, in in general, even though City are not keeping it competitive at the other end. <laughs> yeah, Kev, Kev, yeah. just just to, while while we mention Everton, and I I did laugh because you know I don't like Sam Allardyce, <laughs> but I did like what he said after being beaten four nil by Spurs. He said he said we watched David Moyes and West Ham play a game plan and take it to them and stop them playing their game. <laughs> and we thought we, we would give it a go. And he said afterwards, he said, my problem is I was trying to play too exciting football against Spurs. Maybe I need to play a bit more boring football. Wait, sorry. That was, was, that his, it, was that his <laughs> version of exciting football? <laughs> That's why I thought he went, maybe I need to be boring. And I thought, oh, no. Typical Allardyce. <laughs> RIP in <laughs> peace, Everton fans. <laughs> yes, so, sorry Everton fans. I wouldn't wish uh, Sam Allardyce. He won't get you relegated, but there won't be much excitement. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely a good point. And also, I did just want to touch on the fact that all of you mentioned uh, teams being cut adrift. And it is worth noting that, uh, Sean, while you did mention Crystal Palace, that Swansea pretty much looked the worst team since kickoff of match week one. And the fact that they're only a win away, well, I guess technically four points away because they would be far worse in goal difference. Um, but the fact that they're basically a win away from quote-unquote safety no, if, is if, pretty ridiculous. If they are, they're far worse than West Brom. Oh, no, but if they win... Stoke is the only team in that area that's worse than Huddersfield. 
yeah, yeah. Gold so they could, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. yeah. yeah but so it just depends which club is there. But, yeah, it's it's uh, pretty nuts that Swansea have been as poor as they have this year and still very much have a chance. And that does lend a little bit more to the exciting than the concerning side of that spectrum. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with uh, questions for each of our guests. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Joshi, we'll lead off with you. Um, I hate to go on about this Alexis thing, but news continues to kind of come throughout the day. Uh, so I figure we should cover it as much as we can while we're on air, knowing that it'll be finalized basically the second we publish this show. Um, we talked <laughs> at the start of this about how Alexis would fit in. You mentioned the, the uh, risk of Martial. Uh, first of all, do you think that there's something to the McTarian going the other way thing? And if so, would you potentially play Alexis on the right, which is where he played at Barcelona? How do you think you would get all those players on the same pitch? So... Addressing the first bit, I think the Mkhitaryan thing is interesting. I think he's basic. I think I've been so disappointed with him this season that I'm not surprised that he's been offered. Uh, and at the same time, I think he's all—he's clearly a player with a lot of talent, but needs it, it. Just isn't working for him here. So maybe a move to Arsenal would work for him. Whether Arsenal want him or not is another issue. So I wouldn't be too upset if he did go the other way. Um, Aside from that, uh, I can't really say much more on that. I don't know. These player swap deals very rarely happen. Um, in terms of, look, I think our, in terms of Manchester United and where we have our current gaps, first of all, I mentioned earlier, we have uh, very few players who, are, who, who I would classify in that sort of world-class, top-tier type level um, position in terms of world football. We have a lot of players with that potential to get there, but we don't have, we, like I said, we've got Pogba and De Gea and potentially Matic in that area. Um, Matic this season, I think, has been excellent. Not spectacular, but doing the job that he, is required of him. Um, so, yeah, getting Sanchez in, that is one role that he fills. He's, uh, he's played, he's got a lot of experience in Europe. He's obviously uh, a proven performer in the Premier League. So you get all of that with him. In terms of the system that we play, I think you can play across the front three. Um, and our current uh, need is down that right-hand side. Yes, that's not his natural game. But with his quality, he can affect games from any position. I mean, he's, I think he's one of those types of players where he, he can drift. He can go out on that wide right. Um, um, he can play on the, on the left. And I think having that kind of player alongside Martial... Rashford, 
Lingard, Lukaku. I mean, you're going to get a lot of, uh, they're going to learn a lot from him as well. So you get a lot of that too. Um, so look, it's not a signing that you would say um, has been planned for. It's an opportunistic one. That is, I wouldn't, I won't deny that at all. But at the same time, it's it's an opportunistic one for a really top class player. And in the current market, it's one that makes sense financially. And also, when you think about the league being done and the fact that he can play in the Champions League, um, you know that all of that sort of fits in quite nicely. It'll be up to Jose Mourinho to work out how to get them all playing together and, and you know the team was firing on all cylinders at the beginning of the season and it sort of has been spluttering along a little bit in the middle part hopefully um we're back on track and this type of signing might be the type of signing to just sort of galvanize the, the squad and again Marshall is young 22 years old Rashford just turned 20 so these guys you know will learn off Alexis they'll get plenty of games because United play 50 odd games a season regularly um so they'll get their game time. We don't have a backup centre forward, so they'll get game time up top as well. And in the long term, it you know it will aid their development because you don't want someone like Rashford at that age playing sixty odd games a season and us relying on him, having that option to rest him, having the option to move him into a different position. I think would work well. Again, I'm not the manager; that'll be Jose's job. But I think for me, it is it is a signing that. That fits nicely. Well, it doesn't fit nicely like in a jigsaw puzzle, but it, there is a, there are a lot of reasons why it make it makes really good sense. But ultimately, the, the main thing is he's a world class footballer, and and you know if we're going to be in the running for that, that's what we want. That's what we want in the side. Mm. Uh, all right, and then secondly, we, we try to avoid tabloidy stuff on this show. Um, but what did you make of uh, Mourinho's spat with Conte? And if you don't want to get into the specifics, uh, do you feel troubled just by having a manager that constantly keeps his name and the press for what seem to be the wrong reasons? Well, I mean, if you look at him over his career, this is kind of what he does, right? He deflects away from his team. And I, I'm not going to lie, when he was at Chelsea and um, Real Madrid, I was just like, I'm, that guy is just, uh, you know... I would get really pissed off with him. And I used to love it when you get wound up and, and they would lose and things like that. But that's what he does. He turns the club into that sort of us against them mentality. In terms of Conte, look, I think that's been blown out of proportion and has been manipulated by the media to, to, to quite a large extent because he said he never mentioned Conte. And actually, when he made the initial um, comment about acting like a clown on the touchline, I thought he was talking about Klopp, right? Um, and then it turns out then the, the, the journalist asked Conte and said that he'd referred to Conte and then it went from there. And then obviously it went back and forth and it was a little bit childish, but it was box office in terms of the media. Um, and, and look, it's, it's not ideal, but at the same time, that's what he does. You know what you're getting with him and that's, that's what happens, you know. Uh, so it's over, it's done with. Um, I think it, it got under Conte's skin a lot more than it did Mourinho, Mourinho throughout that whole time because he was in, essentially the instigator had it under control and Conte is the one that probably didn't and I think it's got under his skin a bit more but then I'm a bit biased so you know I'm always gonna <clears throat> gonna think that but yeah I, I don't think there was much to it I think it was blown out of proportion in the initial stages and then it became became a story simply because the press I have a thing with the press. They they no longer have 
like think about the media we don't need them to report on press conferences anymore because we see it we can watch them we don't need to them to we don't i don't i can't remember the last time i read a match report or a match preview all of these things are being done better in fanzines in other websites and podcasts uh, like this in, in youtube channels we don't need them for all of those things so actually what i read is you know features opinion pieces investigative stuff which takes a lot of work and it, is, it takes a lot of intellect to write that stuff so actually it's easier for them to blow stuff something like this out of proportion and make it into a story than it is to actually go out and do some work and and do do something that's difficult which is actually um apply some insight and intellect to what they're writing so this is another thing with the press is that they you know it's this idea of clickbait and just getting things going and right and, and blowing things up and, and and seeing getting all the stuff coming in and, and it's not just their fault obviously they're under pressure to get the views and the readership and the whatever but you know i think a lot of it has come from the media as opposed to the two managers Interesting stuff for sure. Uh, he definitely, uh, I agree with you, was less effective because I think he was the one that was driving it at times. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens <laughs> the next time Manchester United and Chelsea face. And he is with uh, Conte on the touchline there. Um, Jake, you mentioned it in earlier here, and you also mentioned it at the beginning of the season, that if you stayed up, uh, it would probably be because Rafa just did such a good job as manager that it kind of wouldn't matter personnel-wise. Uh, we are now midway through January. There have not been personnel changes. Do you still think Rafa is enough to keep you up? Um, yes, I do. I have enough faith in him. He's he's doing an incredible job, like I said earlier. We uh, started the game against Swansea with 11 players we had in the championship, which is it's actually ridiculous. I don't think any other promoted team... That has, that has ever come up the last five or six years have probably done that. They, they may have done, but I would be doubtful. You normally add a bit of quality and hope that that brings up the players around them. But with us, we've just completely gone in with the same team, bar a couple, few additions, most of which have been bargain basement and not really added a lot to the team. The only one that has is probably Mikel Marino. I'm not sure why he didn't start yesterday, but uh, he's the only one that has got a lot a bit of quality and somebody I could see going on to better things than Newcastle. The rest of them, I think this is probably their, their limit. <laughs> Maybe Jamal sales as well. He's, he's, he's massively important. And if he ever got like that run, I spoke about the 1.27 uh, points available because he was out injured. Uh, the moment he went out injured, we started conceding goals left, right, center. And then he's come back and we've climbed the table. I think we're 10th in the form table at the moment, which I mean, that suggests we're going in the right direction. We are slowly starting to climb out of it. But we've had a lot of good games. Our last three fixtures were Brighton, uh, Stoke, <coughs> Swansea. And we took five points. I said beforehand we probably need to take six. So we under what I wanted. I mean, it's good that we didn't lose any of them. But draws at this point, although they're not fatal, they don't really do a lot for you either. Uh, like if we'd have lost one of them, won the other one, we'd be better off. So... Yeah, I, I think we'll be we'll be fine. I think it's obvious we need to buy some players. Whether that happens or not, probably not. I'm I'm expecting no people to come in, so it's better to think like that than be expecting people like to expect some players to come in than not to come in like in previous windows. Mm. Just seems this divorce with Mike Ashley is very long. It's very long winded, and he's given us one final awful transfer window as a parting gift which is going to be loved by all i think the the only reason i have for positivity is when you watch benitez in his press conferences he doesn't seem completely down i think he knows something is going on i think he knows there must be a takeover happening at some point and he must 
believe that he's going to get maybe one or two additions, which is possible, maybe through loans, and that he has enough to get through this season and keep us up, and then he can go from there. Mm. And that's the my only ounce of positivity in Newcastle at the moment. It's the way that Rafa Benitez is acting. I think he's getting the fans to maybe believe that it's, this is going to be a long grind the rest of the season. It, we, we need it's not going to this takeover isn't going to happen overnight, but when it happens there's better times ahead and I don't think that we're going to be Manchester City I just think we can become a very functional Premier League team that spend a bit of money and actually try to be a little bit competitive as opposed to what we're doing now which is just we're exactly what his business is sports director we just do things on the cheap and expect to, to do to get along on a bargain price which you can't do anymore you can maybe he he, he got a bit of success about it earlier uh, earlier in his, his tenure when we had Pardew uh, after we got promoted the first time we had a bit of success and we sort of got our scouting right, but there was only a couple of years that were good. The rest of it has been pretty awful, and I can't wait for it to be over. I just, mm. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can stay up. I think maybe we've let a few winnable games go, but I think we need to get maybe another. I think another four wins and a couple of draws probably sees us safe, and I think we'll probably get them. But we're going to be in it for for the rest of the season. I think the the one positive I have at the moment is just. We're we're on the up. We've had our bad spell, and we are picking up points. And we are, as the form table suggests, we're moving up the table. Whereas there are other teams that are, are going in the opposite direction. So I'm hoping that that those trends continue. We can build a bit of a gap. But we got Manchester City next week, so it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, Lascelles there in his absence. Uh, he missed five games uh, this season already. Obviously, the results there weren't great. But uh, fun stuff that I saw while looking. Uh, up some fantasy stuff for my article this week was that every Newcastle clean sheet this season has come with Lascelles in the side. Just how important is he to your defense? It's a really, really interesting with Lascelles this season because at the beginning of the season, I think the majority of Newcastle fans would have said he was our fourth best centre-back. And I think in the second half of our championship season, he was playing with an injury. And I think people saw him playing at maybe 60, 70% and thought that was him. And that he wasn't progressing as we'd hoped because he came up with a lot of potential from Forrest. But this season has completely changed. I think he's developed a lot under Benitez. Those two work very well together. Benitez sort of sees ourselves as his himself on the pitch, which which he very much is. He's a very he's mature for his age. Uh, he did an interview this week with the Daily Mail with some of the things in there you wouldn't expect professional footballers to be talking about. He was talking about how the players refused to do things when Steve McCarroll was manager. They they refused to do certain training drills. And he'd go into depth. Uh, he'd go into quite quite a lot of depth about a lot of interesting subjects. So even if you're not a Newcastle fan, that one's worth a read. It was a really interesting interview. But I just think he's he's very mature. He's he's a he he organises the defence well, and he's very confident. And I think that has an effect on everybody around him. We don't seem to concede many goals when he's in the team. And he'll be the first one when he makes a mistake to to admit to it. He doesn't shy away from that. He's yeah, he's just a really, really good player. And I think if <laughs> I'd hope he has a long future at Newcastle, but we probably need to extend the Premier League for that to happen because it's rare to get an English defender with that much confidence. And, and he's already a leader. Like Newcastle United, yeah, we're not what we used to be. It's still a massive club. And he's the captain of that club. And he's the most important player. And I think he's only 23, 24. Like he's, he's had such a, he's developed so much. And I wouldn't even be. Sh- like I wouldn't be shocked if he went to the World Cup. But he's probably not going to. He's probably he's definitely going to be involved in that English uh, England setup at some point. But Southgate was, has been to a few Newcastle games recently. I can't imagine he's watching John Joe Shelby, so he's probably watching Jamal Lascelles. I think he's he's probably what England need. He's very confident, 
and he's like not in the confident, not the same confidence as John Stones, who's confident on the ball. He's confident in the way he, in organised defence, a leader, and we don't have many of those in English football rooms. So I'm very happy we've got him at Newcastle, and I think yeah, if he stays fit and Rafa Benitez stays as manager of the football club, we will stay up. If either of those things don't happen, maybe we won't. But yeah, Lascelles probably been our most improved player over the last 12 months, and it's it's great to have a young English defender. At, your, at, at our club doing really, really well. So, yeah, he's been probably the brightest spot of the season. Mm. Yeah, he's definitely been very important for you thus far. Um, coming to you now, Sean, Marko Arnautovic looked a flop until about 10 matches ago uh, when all of a sudden he caught on fire six goals and three assists over that period. That's all of his goals and assists uh, thus far this season. What do you put that up to, just getting more comfortable at the club? Is it the, the Moyes factor? Is it because he's been playing more up front? What, what do you think has really helped uh, Arnautovic unlock his talent thus far? Well, it's got to be the Moyes factor, isn't it? Um, you know, when uh, match of the day put uh, a stat up saying, you know, as you say, no goals, no assists under Slavin Bilic. Uh, Slavin Bilic dropped him, you know. Uh, I mean, to be fair to Arnautovic, he did say, you know, I'll prove you wrong. You know, he was getting the boo boys come out and said, what a waste of money. There's this um, you know, curse of when him, uh, Andy Carroll and uh, Andre Ayew have all been our latest record signing. And when you become a record signing at West Ham, it's a curse because often you flop, the pressure on you. Um, but what, what, a, what a way to turn it around. You know, whatever he has said, you know, let's, let's be honest, right? Anatovic is a cocky son of a bitch, right? He, he's got the swagger. He's got the attitude. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. But Moyes has come in. We, we've all heard the, the stories about Slavin Bilic being a little bit soft and not very disciplined. And, and you probably heard Moyes say it, you know, recently. He tells them, right, this is our way. And you either do it. He's got discipline. He wants them turning up on time, not late uh, in training. He wants them running. Everyone's got to run, right? Fitness, very important. Stamina, very important. If you don't like it, then get out of my club, is what he's told them. And with the exception of one person, the Efra Sacco, uh, he says everyone is, is is pretty much up for it. And, you know, I have no doubts that, that uh, if uh, Anatovic carries on the way he is, uh, he will be Hammer of the Year, which is a very important thing that goes back to the 1950s for West Ham. The biggest accolade he can get from the fans, the way he's going, the passion he's showing... You know, it's the small things. It's the crossed hammer sign. It's the kissing the badge. The passion he's showing. And, and what a game yesterday he had. Even sulking when he didn't get the goal. I don't know if you saw that. But when, you know, uh, Lanzini, he said, well, Lanzini moans that I don't pass to him. I passed to him. He was, he was sort of bundled off the ball. And, and Lanzini followed it up for our fourth goal. Um, he sulked because he didn't get the goal. That's his passion. Um, and I, I'll go one step further. I think... That, that um, partnership between Lanzini and Anatovic at the moment is the best partnership in the Premier League at the moment mm. between them. Interesting. Um, secondly, uh, while Arnautovic has kind of taken over that uh, starting striker-ish role for you up front, uh, it's largely been because uh, Chicharito never really made that spot his own, although he did get a stretch of games at the beginning of the season just never really seemed to kick on. What would you like to see happen with Chicharito and what do you think will happen? Well, 
Um, I know for a fact that all three of them, I mean, it's, it's, I, I wrote this back on actually Christmas Day, but it's been running the press last week, I think, in the mirror, that Chikorito is up for sale. You know, uh, if anyone gives us our money back, 16 million, uh, we will let him go. We, you know, he, he, was, he was a Billich player, right? And Billich wanted him. He'd been tracking him for a long time. We know, despite all the protests that, you know, it's a clean sheet and everything else, you know, Moyes and him don't really get on. And he's not a Moyes player, you know. He's a fox in the box. And there's two things I'll say about um, Chikorito. Number one, uh, you could be cruel and say, has the Premier League moved on now? Do we need someone? Paul Wall and Ben <laughs> is a goal hanger. Or do actually we need someone that is... is um, Alpha's a little bit more to their game than, than just, I know this is silly, but just putting goals in the back of the net. Um, and, and, and the second thing I'll say is, I don't think he's a Moyes type player. You know, I, I just don't, he, he doesn't seem to fit the Moyes style, which is why we're not seeing him very much. Um, and and I'm, I'm not sure, I, you know, he's still a great talent and I'm sure he can do a lot, whether that's going to be in the Premier League or whether... He actually suit more of a European uh, team with C. Um, but I, I don't know if he'll still be there in the summer, and let alone the winter. But, you know, going alongside that, Andy Carroll's for sale as well. You know, we, we take £10 million for Andy Carroll um, because you can't rely on him. Yes, he, he scored two um, against West Brom. But that's his one. He has one good game of the season, and that's it. You know, he's injured again. <laughs> You know, you can't rely on something like that. And I think we'd bite someone's hand off if, if he comes along. And that might sound silly coming from, because he's, he's a plan B. He, you know, he's been linked with Chelsea, but, but you can't rely on him. And, and when you've got that much wages involved, and as we all know, there's one person who definitely will be going, and that is Diafra Sacco. You know, he's been re- made it really clear through his agent. Um, again, we've got a valuation of, of 15 million on him. We're except 12 or even possibly 10 with add-ons. You know, agents are trying to flog him to West Brom. He's been linked with Crystal Palace. We prefer him to go abroad, obviously. We don't really want to sell him to, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a mid-table rival who, who, or even a relegation rival who may do one over on us. Um, so we're in a bizarre situation where all three of our strikers have a valuation put on them by the club and we will take money uh, for one or all of them uh, if if those valuations are met this this uh, this winter, interesting stuff for sure. Do you think that somebody would be brought in to replace them, or are you fine just with Arnautovic up for the rest of the season? I think you've got. I mean, if if one or two go, I mean, if one goes, I think no, I don't think anyone else will. Care. We've been linked with the um, the Russian guy. I mean, I've been told there are. Oh, well, I haven't just been told, Moises said this, that we're mainly looking for loans. Um, I'm going to say something very unkind about David Moyes, even though I think he's done a wonderful job. I'm told on transfers he's a bit of a diverer. <laughs> and he divers. And, and, and I, I've been told he... You're, uh, you're, you've been told, or, or we've all used our eyes and watched his entire footballing career. Oh, well, yeah, but all right. I'm, I'm talking... Uh, I know his, his, um, his reputation with Diver in the past. I'm talking about, in particular, transfers. I think he's made some good decisions at West Ham on, on, uh, on, on game tactics, and I think he's changed the game. His, his Divering mid-game is, is an old, maybe... Um, 
uh, reputation, uh, maybe he's, he's shooken off a little bit. What I'm talking about is in the transfer market. And what I'm hearing... Well, yeah, from he was exactly that at United. Right? He just can't make up his mind. And they're going, you know, David Sullivan's going, we've got this person, we've got this person online, we've got this... Tra- oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, and Yes, yeah, so I, I read a story is, about him. Sorry, to, uh, just a quick one on that point about Dithering. I read a story about him at United. So there's this big, uh, not expose, but whatever in the papers about how he'd converted some of the buildings at the, the not buildings, rooms at the, the training center into like a transfer bunker. This was in the summer when he joined. It's a transfer bunker with all these cool iPads for every position that he wanted. He had a list of five and he's always had this list in his mind. And at Everton, he was working in like tier you know, like t- towards the bottom tiers. And now he's at United, he could work in the top tier kind of thing, all this stuff. And everyone was like, oh, okay, fair enough. He's, he's got this idea. He's done his research. He's traveled around Europe. He's seen all these guys. And then we ended up signing Man, uh, Marouane Fellaini on deadline day for about 7 million quid more than we could have had him at the beginning of the summer. He is a transfer ditherer and always has been. Yeah. Juan Mata was not his signing. It was, that was a, that is a classic Ed Woodward signing as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, this this isn't well, news that, to me. Put some context on it. So yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing that's what's going on <laughs> at the moment. He doesn't want to make a mistake. Um, he's although everybody talks about him having a six month contract, he's actually got a, a two year contract with a with both sides have got a six month break clause. So he wants to actually be at West Ham long term, and I think the ball do as well. But all eyes are on him. Um, in the transfer market and on his results, and I guess that that that's put a bit of nervousness. But I would like one or two uh, reinforcements over January. Uh, but but mostly he thinks that that strengthening happens needs to happen in midfield where we're, we're a bit light more more than up front. Mm, interesting. All right, we'll just kind of kind of keep that uh, idea kind of rolling here. We'll come to you, Josh. Do you think United will see any business? Well, uh, you know, other than Alexis, um, hopefully Alexis Sanchez signs for us. But I think, I think we are looking yeah, at a couple for those of for those listening at home. As we're recording, the news continues to look better and better for United. Yeah, yes, but look, I mean, I've always been skeptical about these things because even at the last minute, he, he'll end up at City because you know they'll just blow us out of the water with money. But um, look, I think if the right players come up. We are always on the lookout, but January United have historically not been that active. Um, I think Vidic and Evra were our last January signings, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, someone listening to the pod might want to correct me. Um, so I've, I, at January time, I'm never really that um, interested in the transfer window. Obviously, this whole Alexis thing has blown up, so I'll be keeping an eye on that. Aside from that, I'd love it if we could get a central midfielder in. Um, and given our uh, involvement in the Champions League, I think the two players that I was I would be looking at would be, uh, and also sort of for long term, and because I think they're absolute quality players, are Milinkovic Savic at Lazio and Goretzka at uh, Schalke. But I think he'll mm. end up joining Bayern. But yeah, uh, but ultimately, I don't think we we are in for anyone really other than Alexis, and that's just uh, like I said earlier, an opportunistic one. Um, I think in January we tend to be, if our long-term targets become available, then we'll go in for them. Otherwise, we tend to sit back. We don't tend to do any sort of rushed business in January. 
Fair enough. And Jake, I know it seems unlikely with uh, this ownership change kind of happening during it, but uh, no, no business happening at Newcastle, I assume. I no, I, I, the, from what I've read, most of the local journalists seem to think there will be some business. What Rafa Benitez says, he seems to think there will be. I just don't think it's going to be game changer business and probably not what we need. Um, I think we're going to sign Kennedy from Chelsea this week, from what I've read. That one's been going on since the summer. Uh, we nearly signed him in the summer, but then Chelsea didn't release him because they wanted to. They didn't have enough players in their squad, and he's barely played. And now they're still trying to keep him because they don't have enough players in their squad, even though they've just bought Barkley. So we, at the moment, to, to give you a taste of what our board can do, we can't even complete a loan deal for a player that doesn't play for Chelsea. And they're the club that love to loan out players. So, <laughs> I'm pretty I mean, sure I have a loan player from Chelsea just at my house. <laughs> oh, I just—it's ridiculous. They're just awful. They just have no interest in doing any business. But I think that one's probably going to happen. The fact it's rumbled on this long means it's probably going to happen. So yeah, probably sign him. I'm not sure if he's going to be the player we need, but sure, I'll take anybody at this point. Um, I saw Daniel Storage links, but apparently his wages were too high. Shock. For, I mean, that's that's a shock. I've, I thought we'd probably have enough money to pay those wages. Mike Ashley loves to, to spend big, doesn't he? No, that was a... Why even try and make that? Try signing. We're never going to sign him because we just have owners that have no interest in doing those deals. I think maybe we we might get Danny Ings. I think he's probably going to... He, he, he wants to stay at Liverpool from what I've read, but um, yeah, if, if he's not going to get any game time and if they sign another player or something, maybe he'll change his mind. So that's the one we might get. I think Ralph Benitez wants, uh, wants to sign him. And yeah, it's, it'd probably be a couple of loans, if anything. And I don't think they're going to be very inspiring, uh, whoever they are. So uh, it's pretty much up to Ralph Benitez to keep us up. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we might sell a couple of players. I saw Shelby's been linked, but I don't really think he's going to go to West Ham. I just, I, if he went, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against selling John Joe Shelby at all. He's a, it's a complete liability, and like at the weekend, he didn't. He, he refused to shake, but his hand when he got subbed, he's just he's been sent off twice this season. He's an absolute liability. He's really talented. Boy, uh, a West yeah. Ham fan, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I've read. You're quite welcome to him. I just don't. If if <laughs> if, if we're not going to sign any players, I'd rather not get rid of somebody. So yeah, if, if we if we were going to replace him, I'd be well. I'd be completely open to selling Shelby, but I think we will. The only one is Mitrovic. We might sell. Uh, if we sold Mitrovic, that might give us some funds to do something. But they said the same in the summer. They said uh, for the last week of the transfer window, if, if Benitez sells some players, and th- there will be money to spend. And he got rid of quite a few players, and there's still no money to spend. So we'll see. Yeah, I just think we just have to get through this window. Then maybe in the summer we'll have new owners, and it will be different. So yeah, I think a couple of loans. One of which being Kennedy. If he's any good, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we meant to do a full uh, match preview segment, but we're quickly running out of time. So, uh, Josh, you think United beat Stoke tomorrow? Um, yeah, Stoke have a, well, I'm saying yeah now, I'm going to look like an idiot when they beat us, but they haven't won, they've won once all season away from home against Watford, I think, and they've just, they've lost in the cup, the EFL cup against Bristol, lost in the FA cup of the weekend away from home. I think away from home, they're pretty shod, shoddy. The relegation for, uh, they're in the relegation zone, so if we don't beat them at home, then, then Alexis will probably turn around and <laughs> go down to the Etihad. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, especially as Stoke have the worst defense in the league. Easy to assume a United win. I don't think you're being too cocky there. Uh, Sean, I assume you think you'll beat Shrewsbury midweek? Well, <laughs> I, I watched. I watched. I was in Tenerife watching with uh, the Tenerife Hammers, and what a lackluster performance that was. Hmm. Uh, we're still focusing on the Premier League, so still expect to put the kids out there, but. Um, 
I hope at home we can overcome Shrewsbury, but I expect it to be a completely different team uh, with probably an Outovich and, and Lanzini rested. So, I, 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 yeah, I hope. What, what happens after second replay is I'm remembering FA Cup rules. Is it is it penalties or is it uh, or can there be what's the number of replays? I can't remember on FA Cup. Uh, that's it. Penalties. It's penalties on on the second replay. So let's hope it doesn't have to go to penalties. But um, you know, Shrewsbury stopped us playing our game and 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 got their payday of bringing it back to the London Stadium. So that's re- that's going to be really um, uh, beneficial for them financially. Uh, but yeah, I, I would hope we've got enough to to move to the second, uh, uh, sorry, the fifth round and um, and take on uh, is it is it Bournemouth or, or Wigan? I think. Hmm. Uh, all right, uh, that'll do it for us today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks a lot. Cheers for having me on. Always good to chat. Um, I'm Joshy. You can find me on Twitter at doc underscore Joshy. I do some writing for the sportsman.com and other websites. And I feature on various podcasts and YouTube channels, um, mainly full-time devils for, for Manchester United fans. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake with 2 ends I've got EPL Index and The Boot Room. And this past week, we've just in, uh, published an interview on The Boot Room with Massimo Luongo, the QPR midfielder that I had the pleasure of writing up, who's had quite an interesting career. I think he's, he's 25 and he's been nominated for the Ballon d'Or while playing in League One. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting article to check out. So, yeah, check that one out. I've been Sean at West Ham Football on Twitter. Um, if you want to hear the West Ham podcast, it's uh, more than just a podcast. uk and more as in Bobby Moore. So M O R E or catch up with all the West Ham news at ClarenceHugh.info. Thanks. Yeah, and you can always find us at EPL Roundtable on Twitter or on any podcast thing. I think except SoundCloud. Not really sure why they've been left out. Um, but they have for whatever reason. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, uh, and we hope you keep listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.